Hello there, and welcome to Common Rider AA, the podcast where we are watching Common Rider Kiva and getting so close to the end game, I can taste it. We're like in the single digits left when it comes to episodes. Today we're going to be watching 38 and 39, and there are 48 episodes in total, so that means five or six episodes left after this to record. God, we started this last November, I think, and it took a year, but we're we've almost come to the end of season one of this podcast. It's pretty wild. This is also the birthday episode because we're recording this on my birthday. Yay. But yeah, today we watched at our recapping episodes 38 and 39 of Common Rider Kiva, Earl Koenig, Mother and Child Reunion, and Shout Targeted Brothers. Erl Koenig is a uh, German word referenced to the song uh, composed by Frank Schubert based on a uh, Goethe poem of the same name. Interesting. I don't know what the poem is about or what its subject matter might be. I am looking... Oh, it's about a child, the death of a child attacked by a supernatural being, the Erkling, a king of the fairies. Oh, okay. Huh. That's surprisingly poignant. But yeah, who wrote and directed this one? It was written by none other than Toshiki Inoue. Surprise, surprise. And directed by, get this, Ryuta Tsaki. A combination we've become familiar with. A combination we, I like to think we look forward to. <laughs> but yeah, we'll go ahead and hop right in. This is going to be a, a pretty dense episode, folks, so buckle up. So, episode 38 starts with Wataru in disbelief about Mio being a fangire and Taiga also being Common Rider Saga. Mio and Taiga are just as shocked by Wataru being Kiva. Wataru runs off screaming into the woods... He collapses onto the ground and Jiro materializes out of nowhere and kind of snarkily remarks that Wataru is turning out to be quite a handful. It's a, it's a, it's a, such an emotional scene. Like, all three of these people have just had their worlds rocked. Like, to a level where they, I don't think they have ever experienced that level of rocking before. In a conference room... Presumably one that Taiga owns, Taiga angrily demands why Bishop withheld the knowledge of Kiva's identity from him. Taiga wonders aloud how a human like Wataru can wear Kiva's armor, and Bishop suggests that he talk to Maya about it. Bishop then dramatically vaults over the circular conference desk and tells Taiga that thanks will only get harder from now on, but if Taiga perseveres, he will be the ultimate king. Th this episode is... Full of bishop moments. Bishop is so fucking excellent. Why? Why did you need to be like that? Elsewhere, Mio is lamenting the recent revelation about all this. Uh, wasting no opportunity to ham things up, Bishop comes and tells Mio that since Wataru now knows that she's a fangire, there is no way he could love her. Bishop then tells her to kill Wataru and to become the ultimate queen. Okay, so <laughs> the, the logic of Bishop here, where he's like, hey, Mio, Wataru knows you're a vampire. There's no way you could love a vampire. Wataru is a, half fan, a, a part fangire himself. And I think they would at least suspect it because a normal human can't use Kiva. Uh, Wataru wakes up in his house. Jiro's there and he asks if Wataru is okay. 
In denial, Huatu tries pretending the day's events were just a dream. Very poorly, by the way. Yeah. Jiro refutes this and gives Huatu a good old get-a-hold-of-yourself slap. We time-position to a hospital in 1986, where Yuri has regained consciousness after overexerting herself with Iksa. Otoya is there with her, and he chides her for stealing Iksa like she did. Yuri asks him about the nature of their relationship, and Otoya tries to reassure her about it. Yuri angrily accuses him of lying and actually wanting a woman who appreciates his musical talent. She tries getting out of her bed with the intention of finding Maya. Otoya tries stopping her, but he gets pelted in the face with a vase. In this scene, to begin with, he's, she's like throwing oranges at him. It's like, catches one, catches another. It looks at him, he's smiling. And I expe- I've seen this before, but I expected a third orange to be thrown and for him to start juggling them. But instead, instead he gets hit in the face with a vase. We move back to 2008 for another hilarious BSO sketch comedy skit. There's not really much to say here. Keisuke offers to be Kengo's coach while Kengo continues to be an edgy asshole. Wait, is this is this the Nagosan part or is that a little bit later? This is it. He has the jersey with the numbers. <laughs> it's so fucking good. It's a God, I love it. He he made t-shirts. Also, I love how Megami is now. It's like, oh, there's a bigger asshole than Keisuke. All right, I'm now I'm now on Keisuke's side. Oh, also, when Megami says to a Kengo, like, all right, just make just ask your big sis if you ever need any help, and Kengo just says, like, I need some advice. How do I make you shut up? And she just turns away, and drinks her soda, and it's so sad, but also so funny. Elsewhere, a new Fangire standing alongside a river. He draws a triangle in the air and telekinetically pulls numerous Fengire shards out of the water and into a coffin that he's lugging about. Surprisingly enough, this isn't completely out of nowhere. Because, like, back in episode, I think it was five or six, uh, we had the Fengire chef who, in addition to his secret sauce, was trying to revive his butlers. This new Fengire, the Mantis Fengire, tells the remains of his fellows that he will give them new life. Later, Taiga walks into Maya's hermit cave. Maya tries embracing her son, but Taiga coldly rebuffs her. He asks her if she had a child with a human, and if that child received Kiba's power. Maya is silent in response to this, which causes Taiga to angrily throw off his glove and grip Maya by the throat. Maya sadly remarks that Taiga sounds just like the previous king, his father. This scene actually really got to me, and I teared up a little bit in conjunction with the next scene. Uh, Let me just very quickly describe it. I'll take over your role for a second. It's like 1986. uh, King uh, King is, you know, choking Maya, being like, hey, are you are you fucking a human? And she and she just calmly states, oh, just trust me. I'm going to kill Otoya, Kur and I eventually. But the difference between Maya in the past being all calm and collected and Maya in the present just being so sad, because even if she did at one point love the king, she doesn't at that point. And that's why she's able to be so calm about her husband, you know, almost killing her. But she loves Taiga so much, even though she hasn't had a chance to see him in probably 20 years. And so it's just it's just sad. Being like, oh, you're turned out just like your father. 
Yeah, but yeah, to summarize, uh, Maya says tries to reassure the old king that she is eventually going to kill Otoya, who is Ix's user at the time, and King just kind of lets her off at that point. In 2008, Wataru finds Mio sitting on a bench, because that's how people meet. They, they just find each other in this show. Mio tells him that they can't be together since she's a Fangire and he's Kiva. She goes on to say that there is no answer or solution to this problem. Right on cue, Taiga walks up and says that there is actually a solution. He then asks Wataru and Mio to come accompany him to some place. We again time-zitioned in 1986, where Bishop cannot stop being a dramatic bitch. These episodes are top-notch drama and emotion, but Bishop is somehow the best part of these episodes. <laughs> it's, it's so hard to understand. It's so hard to quantify how much Bishop is. He's playing an organ at a church as Maya comes in and chides him for ratting out her affair with Otoya to King. Bishop warns her that she can't elude King's wrath forever. Once she finally slips up, her powers as queen will be taken away, and her life will be rendered a living hell as other Fengires hunt her. We can't get past the fact that he's just playing this church organ. I'm sorry. I know that this plot stuff, but he's just there like, da -da -da -da. I can't breathe. I can't breathe just thinking about it. I've realized, rewatching some other Kamen Rider seasons, this is a Toshiki Inoueism. This is something he has a lot. This character archetype, which is like all like rail thin, black haired, like cool, common, collected bad guy that's all smarmy. And they also do the weirdest fucking shit in the background. And it's like, it's never commented on about like, hey, why are you fucking playing the organ? It appears in Fies, but one of his most famous series. Basically, Bishop is in that show. It's basically just Bishop, except he occasionally hangs out in a bar and reads poetry. Did he just walk in there and just take the organ? Did he ask someone if he could like practice on it or something? Did is he renting it? I what is the deal? Did he kill the organist? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's their church because I think we've seen it before. Whatever the case is, however this works out, he's just playing a church organ. And it's, I mean, I guess he picked up some skills in between, like, having to plan out ice cream socials. Cut to 2008. Maya is spilling an empty wine bottle with some river water. The Mantis Fengar comes walking up with his coffin full of Fengar shards. The Mantis expresses sadness at the former queen's state. The glass shards assemble themselves into a zombified warthog fangire, of all things, who begins chasing Maya. She narrowly eludes him in the woods. Yeah. Eludes is one way to put it. As she was running up, first of all, the ricketyest staircase, she also just sort of ducks to the side. He just runs right past. Later, Taiga is leading Wataru and Mio to Maya's hermitage cave thing. He tells Wataru that someone important to him is inside the cave. He steps in, sees Maya, recognizes her as his mother, and embraces her. Very quickly, I, I forgot the first time and I almost forgot again. The Mantis Fangire is also known as the dead's miscalculation equals 436 lie. Do you know what that's referencing? I don't actually. 
That's referencing John 4.36, which mentions a reaper who harvests crops for eternal life. Oh, okay. Huh. Meanwhile, the Zomgeier warthog is running amok in public. Can we also talk about the fact that Maya was just attacked by a goddamn necromancer, and her and her train of thought was, "All right, I'll just head back to my cave. Not 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 even gonna when I see my children be like, hey, thanks, but thanks for coming to see me. I love you each. I love you all. I don't know who you are, young girl, but you seem like you would be a good wife to my second child. Anyways, I'm being attacked by a necromancer. First of all, didn't know those existed, so." Glad to know magic has advanced that far in 20 years. Second of all, please save me. <laughs> you think she would want to be saved, though? Well, I mean, I don't think she would want to die because, like, she just reunited with one with her sons. But, yeah, the Warthog Fengire's rampaging, or the Warthog is rampaging. That's a pretty good game. Kengo approaches it and henshins into Ixa as Keisuke tries coaching him through the fight. <laughs> Kengo uses Eeks at a rather solid effect and dispatches the Zomgaier. Kengo does the exact opposite of what Keisuke... It's like, punch him! Multiple kicks. Or kick him! Just slamming his fist into the guy. <laughs> the only time he technically follows uh, Keisuke's advice is when Keisuke's like, Use rising! Three, five, one, rising ingu. I love early K-Scape because he's such a dick and he's so sure of himself and his assholeness. But I also love this K-Scape because he's just such a goddamn meme machine. Yes. Back at the cave, Wataru asks Maya where she's been all along. We flash back to when Wataru was but a wee lad. Maya leaves him at his father's old house, presumably with Shizuka's family aware of the situation. She tearfully tells little Wataru to forget about her and that someday they'll meet again. Wow, you assuming that she set up a situation where Wataru was looked I just assumed she left him with Kivat. I just assumed Kivat was his legal guardian. <laughs> I want to say the Nomuras were, um, were friends of Otoya, or neighbors at least, and that they, Maya, I guess, informed them beforehand that Hey, Otoya's son is going to be living by himself here. Um, go check on him and make sure he doesn't starve to death, please. Yeah, uh, my my child and his bat father are going to be living here. Uh, Maya-san, you, you fucked that toy bat? But <laughs> <laughs> that's his adoptive father. You fucked that toy bat? <laughs> Maya tearfully tells little Wataru to forget about her and that someday they will meet again. We cut back to the present in 2008, and Taiga reveals that he and Wataru are half-brothers and that Wataru was actually half-Fangire. As this revelation sinks in, the Mantis-Fangire crashes the party. He uses his necromancy to reassemble the bodies of the Cicada, Moose, and Shark-Fangires, and proceeds to sick them on the floor. Another example of Mio's blunt force trauma narcolepsy. Yep. I don't understand why the why they did it this way because it's three zom, zom, uh, zombie fangires and then it's three fighters Mio, Wataru, and Taiga. Yet Taiga's just uh, like dub, is just being double teamed by one of them, and Mio's just staying behind protecting Maya, and then gets blood force narcolepsied. Presumably, Maya no longer has access to her fangire form. 
Well, yeah, no, but like they they set it up for a three v three with uh, Mio, Taiga, and Wataru, but then they yeah. just have Mio stay in the background and get knocked unconscious. It, it's bad. They don't like woman fighting in this in this franchise. I think they might just not like woman. Maybe Taiga tries telling the reanimated Fengars to stop their advance, but they disregard the order since they're just mindless puppets. Wataru and Taiga then henching into their rider forms and begin fighting the Zomgeiers. Transition to 1986, where Jiro is walking down a street when he sees a shadowy rendition of the Kiba symbol floating in the sky. King comes sauntering down some steps and notices the last survivor of the Wolfen race. King then summons a black and red Kivat, which he uses to henchin into Dark Kiva. The the way you worded it makes it feel. Like, he came across uh, Jiro by accident, that he was just taking a stroll. It's like, oh, fuck, is that a wolfin? All right. I haven't seen those in a while. Uh, that's how everyone finds everyone in this in this season, though. Okay, so you think that the order of events was, is that the king, you know, came home after a, I have no idea what the fuck king was doing out of the castle, but he just came home, was like, looked his wife in the eye and said, are you cheating on me? You can tell me. I'll be mad. I will kill you if you are, but you can tell me. And after he decided to leave, he was just walking the city of humans, like, I guess, looking for a snack. And then the look is like, wait, what the f- Is that a fucking wolfen? Hey, Eva, is that a wolfen? Oh, fuck. Okay, hold up. We gotta make this as dramatic as possible. I'll walk down the steps. Hello, last survivor of the wolfen race. <laughs> that, it's gotta be help. Sephiroth feels every time he runs into the cloud. Can we take? Can we do a little bit of a side trip? Talk about how extra Sephiroth is. Everyone talks about his. Uh, what was his friend that liked to play Loveless? Genesis. Genesis, yes. Like everyone talks about how Genesis is uh, is like annoyingly extra, but apparently that rubbed off on Sephiroth because he's the one that causes all the visions for Cloud. He's the one that generates all that, and they're all fucking like music video levels of trippy. <laughs> it's like oh i know as he's walking as he's walking across the fiery city i'm just gonna appear to him as a little mirage he'll follow me down the alleyway and then before he knows it boom he's in uh nibbleheim is it nibbleheim that got destroyed or is that the town right outside midgar uh nibbleheim is cloud's hometown okay it's like boom all of a sudden we're in nibbleheim it's like ah oh, that's right directed it to perfection I spent 10 years designing this uh, uh, this uh, ruined town. Oh, God. That's why, it's why, it's why it took so long for me to do the time travel bullshit. Because I was taking so long just designing it. I hope Cloud's impressed. I love Sephiroth. <laughs> In 2008, Saga and Kiva pretty easily defeat the Zomgeiers. We get another outing for the Zombat Sword, which continues to be pretty badass. The episode ends in 1986, where Wolf and Jiro is getting pummeled to, to shit bits by Dark Kiva. DK uses a technique in which he conjures a shadowy Kiva symbol. Yeah, Don- Donkey Kong shows out of nowhere and starts using Fangire powers. It's wild. They're finally back, performing for you. If you know the words, they'll eat your soul too. DK, Dark Kiva, DK. Darkiva is here. But yeah, Jiro's getting his ass beat. Darkiva uses a technique in which he conjures a shadowy Kiba symbol that electrocutes Jiro. 
He telekinetically yoinks Jiro towards him, then kicks him back into the symbol for more shocky times. The episode ends with things uncertain for our Wolfie boy. I love the way that Dark Kiva fights because he never punches you. He'll just like he'll just like summon up his like shadowy Kiva symbol and then just like yo-yo you back and forth between it. But yeah, who's your writer of the week? I'm going to give it to Bishop for showing us that he knows how to play the goddamn organ. He knows how to play a church organ. And he did that sweet, sweet ass jump over that table. Yes. Oh, you're such a ham. My writer of the week is Dark Kiva. It's a really cool suit design that that quickly establishes itself as a writer that you don't want to fuck with. Several things. One, I love that it's Dark Kiva and that standard, what we know as standard Kiva is the, like, knockoff. So, like, the OG is Dark Kiva. Kiva without the dark is, like, the false Kiva. I guess it'll be clarified later on, but are they the same armor, technically? Just they look different and behave differently depending on who's wearing them? I think it might have to do with that and who your and the Kivat that's used. Because of the female Kivat that we meet, it's uh, we meet in one of the anniversary seasons. When the female Kivat is able to summon up an armor for somebody, it you know looks different from those two, but it has similar designs. So I think it's like based on the Kivat more than the uh, person. So like if there was an so like I think if. Uh, Kivat the third was given to a uh, Taiga. Taiga would turn into what we know as Kiva. But like if if uh, Watsuru was given Kivat the first, he would turn into Dark Kiva. At least is my interpretation. Oh, it's Ki- Kivat the second, not Kivat the third. Uh, who's your monster? I'm I'm going to say uh, Toshiki Inoue because he because he, he just keeps on knocking out uh, Mio. I'm worried for the actress at some point because like. Doing so many stunts, some of them have to like go a little bit wrong and someone will accidentally punch instead of, you know, faking a punch. So that actress had to have gotten a lot of like just blood force trauma to the head. My monster is Kengo Angry Tate. He just can't stop being an asshole. But onwards to the tarot corner. Uh, I think I'm giving a reversed moon to this episode in general. We learn the secrets of Watcher's origins. Upright, the moon indicates secret and deception, but when reversed, it indicates truth, dispelling lies, and discovering secrets, which I think is pretty appropriate for elucidating our main character's backstory, I guess. It's very apt. For my tarot corner, I'm going to give it the upright moon, because fuck you, Adam. Okay, just to be contrarian? Yeah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done this on your birthday. What's your episode rating? I'm gonna give it a nine. Like I, 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 it was very good, but I know there are better episodes because, like, I, I love Nagosan and I love Watson meeting his mom, but I know there are episodes that make me actually cry, like the one with uh, Shinji and his wife. That, that one, I'm pretty sure I gave it a twelve, but I, I know that there are things that make me feel that level of emotion, so I'm just gonna give it a nine. Because it's good, but I know that there's better. Alrighty. I I was a bit more positive on it. I gave, I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. This was very good. I liked seeing the previously defeated Fangires. I liked seeing the Zombot again. I liked the flashback to little Wataru and Maya. I liked Dark Kiva's debut. I liked it, okay? 
We are moving on to Common Rider Kiva episode 39, Shout Targeted Brothers. Shout Targeted Brothers uh, aired November 9th, 2008, written by Toshiki Inoue and directed by Ryuta Tasaki. The cold open for this episode has Jiro getting knocked away by Dark Kiva and then running away straight into the claws of the OP. Oh no. In 2008, Wataru approaches Taiga and reaffirms what we just learned. The two of them are brothers, and Wataru was half Fangire. As they talk, some of the stained glass shards from the Zongires move away from the brothers by themselves, presumably being sort of telekinetically pulled back into a coffin for transport by the Mantis Fangire. Either that, or it was one of the many heavy-handed metaphors about the relationship between them being shattered. There's a there's a there's a metaphor that is negatively subtle in a, in a little bit. I like it, but it is negatively subtle. In 1986, Ricky and Ramon are hauling around a food cart uh, for sweet potatoes. Potatoes, stone cooked potatoes. They're warm and sweet. Stone-cooked potatoes. They are hauling this cart around when they run into King. Jiro runs up to back up his bros. Very quickly, when they transform, Ricky is eating a potato. As he transforms, he brings his hands together. You can see a potato in his hands, and he just brings it to his mouth and just swallows it down as he transforms. Oh, I didn't notice that. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) He's my favorite. Yeah, Jiro comes to back them up, but King proves too powerful. King conjures up two of the shadowy Kiva symbols, which electrocute and garbage compactor press the arms monsters. They somehow blast a hole in the side of the, of the tunnel that this is taking place in. They pop out of some reeds on the side of a road, and Ramon laments that they're as good as dead with King himself chasing them. That's a, that's a goddamn death sentence. They couldn't handle Brooke single-handedly. It made them the last survivors of their race. And now King is here. Just is here. It's like, all right, I'll kill you. It, like that's the point where you go. Well, all right, there is a god, and he hates me. In 1986, Yuri is creeping up on a woman who she thinks is Maya. The woman turns around, and we see that she's just dressed similarly to Maya. The woman walks off a little confused as Otoya comes in. He asks what the deal is, and Yuri says that she won't be satisfied until she finds Maya. Otoya asks Yuri what she plans to do after finding her, but Yuri says that's for her only to know. You know, this would be so much funnier, like, if they were, if Maya wasn't supernatural. Like, imagine, imagine if, if Yuri just showed up and just decked her in the face. And it's like, no, she's just a regular woman, and Yuri's just beating, beating up this woman for... Trying to sleep with her man. But, but also, Yuri doesn't know that she's a fangire. So she's just planning to go and probably beat the ever-loving shit out of what she just thinks is a random hussy. In 2008, Wataru was fiddling with the crown button that Keisuke gave to Maya that gave to him, uh, while wondering aloud while, why Maya never told him that she was a fangire. A vision of Maya appears and comforts Wataru. Yeah, th- this was weird. <laughs> She says that even though Wataru was half Fangar, he is and still and always will be Otoya Kurenai's son. She goes on to say that Otoya was committed to justice and that he was the kind of man she hopes Wataru will be. The vision, I guess, of Maya then dissipates. 
Also, it did a neat little thing where as she's talking about Atoya, the camera goes around Wataru, and as it covers up the camera, uh, on one side it starts out as, you know, eye patch Maya, but then once it gets to the other side, it's uh, a 1986 Maya, because, you know, she's reliving those old memories of being in love with Atoya. That, or if it's a hallucination Wataru's having, then it could just be moving from the haggard state his mother's in to the beautiful, loving, caring woman that he, he knew her to be before. It, it also is, I, I'm sure I've said this before, but seeing Maya so different, like in her attitude, because she's still so cold and like, you can tell it's a bit of a front, but she's still distant in, in 1986. But now, like, she's not, you know, shouting and crying from the rooftops, but, you know, she's, you know, being like, I want to see my son. Oh, Wataru Taiga, it's so good to see you again. And it's so nice to see, like, change that happens. Like, we see the effects of character development before they happen. But, the, uh, but and then we get to see the character development happen in 1986. I, I'm not sure. I, I've probably said this before, especially in the early episodes, but the unique setup of the two timelines in, uh, in Comrade Kiva, they provide such an amazing way to tell a story. Kind of like, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but kind of like Lost, where uh, you know they have the constant flashbacks. I just like that they have the two timelines and that allows you to see how, what a character will become, and then we get to see how they became that character from a previous state. Yeah, it's in the hands of the of a good writer, it can definitely work. And I think Inoue mostly sticks the landing. Back in 1986, Yuri has finally found Maya. She attempts to pose a question to Maya, but she can't get it out for some reason. Before she can do it, the arms monsters come running in with the intent of taking Maya hostage uh, to use as leverage against King or to throw him off their trail. That is legitimately the worst idea they have ever had. It's like, all right, guys, I know that I know that Rook constantly beat the ever-loving shit out of us, and we had to rely on ganging up on him five to one and trick him into using a weapon that would that would burn him from the inside out and give him kidney stones. But we can definitely take the queen, just the three of us. Yeah, she was Rook's superior. It should be no big deal. They all assume their monster forms, as Yuri expresses shock that Maya is actually a Fangire. Maya pearl blasts the arms monsters into submission, and we cut to 2008. In Cafe Maldemore, Wataru is meeting with Keisuke. Wataru tells Keisuke that he'd like to finally come out as Kiva to the rest of the BSO. Keisuke agrees that this is a good idea and offers to help smooth things over with his colleagues. Love how much Keisuke trusts Wataru now, because like obviously beginning of the series, Keisuke, if he found out Wataru was Kiva, would we'll just murder him. But he's Wataru is one of his is his closest friends, and he does think of Wataru as his disciple. Uh, like as which was what you know one of the reasons that Kengo was driven away. But it's just really good to see how much he's changed how much he's willing to believe in his friend. Yeah, Keisuke, at this point in the series, comes across as kind of single-minded and eccentric, but he's mellowed out considerably since from when he was first introduced. It's all thanks to falling in love. And finding a 
playful heart or whatever that means. We cut to what do I assume is either Keisuke's house or just a, a rental tea room. I, I mean, I thought it might also be Shima's house, maybe. Maybe. It's it's unclear. Uh, but Shima, Kengo, and Megami are present. Wataru announces to them all that he is Kamen Rider Kiva. They're initially skeptical of this until Keisuke corroborates what Wataru said. Wataru goes on to say that he's also half Fangire. He probably should have told Keisuke beforehand because, you know, Keisuke was his man in, you know, the person to smooth things over. But also, what, at that point, you know, Megami's like, oh, man, I can't believe. Why are you fucking with us? Sade April Fools. But then grabs the fucking biggest fish with her bare hands and is just about to bite down on that bone-filled bastard. <laughs> also, can we very quickly talk about how it's fucking wild that we decided that fish was something we could eat? There are creatures that live in a plane of existence we cannot survive, covered in meta- covered in biological armor. And even once you get past that armor, you have to deal with countless bones in the meat that you have to pick out before you can get to something edible. Hashtag just weed thoughts with Anna. I've never been high in my entire life. I tried, I tried weed at one point, and it did not affect me. That is no joke. All, all of my friends, we all took, you know, the same amount of weed. One of my friends got so fucked up, he literally couldn't move and started throwing up. And we had to throw him in the shower to help him out. Oh, no. He, I felt nothing. Then had twice the amount that I had already had and still felt nothing. <laughs> and that's when I realized I just wasted a lot of money. <laughs> but yeah, that that's kind of a thought you would have why, I think. Uh yeah, Wataru went on to say that he's half Fangire. This pushes Megami and Kengo back into not believing the whole thing. But Shima tells them that Wataru being half Fangire makes sense, as a normal human is very is very unlikely to handle Kiva's power. Also, when he hears this, Kengo flips out, throws his table, and is just about to throw down with Wataru, which is so sad. A little later... Outside the building that may or may not be Keisuke's house, Shima asks Wataru what the name of his father was. Wataru tells him his father was Otoya Kurenai. Shima then reveals to Wataru that Otoya used to be a member of the BSO. He asks Wataru uh, what he intends to do now that he's being transparent with, with the Fangire hunters. Wataru tells him that he wants to be a bridge between Fangires and humanity. Shima then looks down and is physically standing on a bridge. It's not a subtle metaphor. However, there is more to it. I... Shima seemingly supports this and apparently offers to help Wataru in the endeavor. I don't know if this is just me reading too much into it or reading the wrong into the metaphor. Wataru says he'll be the bridge, but when Shima you know, says, I'll help you, he walks off the bridge to Wataru, like basically denying the bridge. Because, like, usually if, uh, like, in that metaphor, Wataru and, and Shima would have met in the middle of the bridge. I don't know. I'm just, I'm over, I'm, I'm overthinking this. It, it's the, it, the bridge, it, it is kind of hilarious how Shima just goes, a bridge, ha, huh? looks down, reveals he's standing on a bridge. Yeah, across a pond. In 1986, Yuri comes into Otoya polishing the bloody robes. She tries warning Otoya to stay away from Maya because she's a fangire. 
Otoya just nonchalantly confirms that he already knew this about Maya. Yuri is shocked and angered, so she slaps Otoya and runs out. Kind of rightfully so. Yeah. He knew that Yuri was going to find Maya and do unknown things to her. Like, could have at least warned her that, you know, she was a man-eating monster in more ways than one. <laughs> in 2008, we cut to Shima taking a shower. He reflects on what Wataru said about bridging humans and fangires, and he has a flashback to an incident in which a teenage taiga injured him with his snake powers. Shima leaves the shower, ruminating that humans and fangires cannot coexist. We then get a lovely view of the scars Taiga left on him. This is neat because it's actually been foreshadowed before, where uh, the cowboy fan guy that was attacking all the psychics and you know and you know attacked Red Man, the world's greatest hero. He, he was like, I heard a rumor that the king was raised by humans his entire life. And then when uh, I think it's when uh, Watsuru mentions his old friend Taiga, Shima gets a look on his face and goes, Taiga. So this confirms it. Uh, for a good chunk of Taiga's life, he was raised by Shema, it seems. And you have to wonder how the... Uh, oh, by the way, like when when Taiga attacks, like he attacks using, you know, like snake powers, like you said. So that's like kind of confirmation that even though we don't see his Fangire form per se, he's the snake Fangire. You have to wonder how that uh, confrontation came about because... Was it all Taiga, you know, having his fangire instincts and being, all right, fuck it, I'm going to go, you know, start killing people that create uh, things that uh, that advance humanity? Or was he just having like a teenage outburst against his dad? Or is it possible that Shima's to blame because this man who dedicated his life to hunting fangires took in a fangire, presumably as a favor to uh, Otoya? And how well do you think Shima could have raised a child? Like, especially one that he, like, that is the representation of all he fought against. Like, I'm not saying Shima was, like, abusive or anything, but that couldn't have been healthy relationship, I like, for either party. I don't know. I'm willing to give Shima the benefit of the doubt. I think I he might have considered this a, like, a, trial run for humanity and fangires living together as equals uh that may have been all it was to him and he may have he may not have been a very good parental figure to taiga but i don't know maybe he just wanted a, a definitive resolution for the conflict between humanity and fangires imagine being taiga growing up and like you know probably knowing maybe not knowing you're a fangire and you're the person that raises you runs an organization meant exclusively for hunting your kind. It's a situation I wish we had more context for. It, maybe we'll get it, I don't know. Yeah, there needs to be so much more for uh, Taiga and Shima. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying how much we get, because we do get a bit more, but I don't think I could ever get enough of how that entire situation went. Elsewhere, Wataru... Uh conveniently runs into Taiga because that's how the story gets developed in this world. Taiga asks that Wataru live as a fangire from now on and rule over humanity alongside him. You know, the fact that they, everyone runs into each other all the time in this show, how the hell has Wataru not run into Taiga before? Like, I get, I get that for like his first 20 years, he was a shut-in. 
but after he started going out, how did, how is he not just like walking down the street and it's like, oh shit, Taiga? Which wait, that's actually what happened when Taiga was introduced. <laughs> he was he was walking by and beat up the mugger that watcher who was fighting. Inoue really needs to think of better dramatic reasons for having characters run into each other instead of just happening on each other by accident all the time. It's like a it was this cartoon with like, you know, superhero team, villain team, and the super, and like one of the one of the villains was just shopping, like and like grabbing oranges and like putting them in his grocery cart. And then he looks up and there's the superhero. And they just look at each other for a solid <laughs> ten seconds. Then they just like slowly walking out the store and the moment they exit the store, they start beating each other up. Wow. Uh, I'm reminded of a robot chicken sketch in which it was a Star Wars parody one in which Luke goes to a space gas station with his X-Wing. Uh, then he ru- and he runs into the Wampa whose arm he chopped off. And at, he kind of hides from the Wampa, but as he pulls out from the gas station, they just share a very long, very strange look. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes, Taiga asks Wataru to, for her his little brother to live as a fangire from now on and for them to rule over humanity together. Wataru declines, saying that humans aren't livestock and that both races can live together as equals. Taiga just laps this off and says that this is impossible. For the next scene, we get the same shot of Wataru walking along a boardwalk, except this time it's night and he runs into Mio. Wataru only goes from, like, his house to Cafe Maldemore. Like, how does he keep on running into people? Yeah. But, yeah, Mio looks a little deranged as she embraces Wataru and and exclaims gladness that they're both of the same race. She proceeds to make a request of Wataru in that that sort of creepy way that has a little too much build-up. She wants Wataru to kill Taiga and usurp the Fengar throne so that they can be together. Yeah, that, that's so creepy. Yeah, Wataru is understandably shocked by this, and so he runs away. I don't know if it's because of the pressure that she's under being expected to kill uh, Fengar traitors who love humans, or if or if it's her the expectation that she marry Taiga. I don't know what the deal is, but... She's cracking under all of this. She's under so much pressure. Like, to be a literal killer, the, the literally the only escape that she has is Wataru. And te- technically, if Wataru kills uh, Taiga, that might make him the next king. And so that would basically allow them to live in peace because no one talks back against the king. Next up, we get Taiga ordering Bishop to... Awaken Wataru's Fangire blood so that Wataru will have to join the Fangires. Shima, on the other hand, is ordering his subordinates to kill Wataru. Their plan is that Kengo Kengo uses Ixa while Keisuke and Megami use experimental anti-Fangire sniper rounds. Keisuke and Megami are very understandably not thrilled by this. So this was something so interesting about this episode because... When Wataru went to Shima, Shima outwardly agreed with Wataru and was all smiles and like, yeah, all right, well, I'd want to help you. But then in the background, he goes, all right, we're going to kill this twink. 
on, on the other hand, Taiga laughs in Wachu's face when he espouses his ideals, but in the background, he wants Wachu to join him. Which, like, they're not complete. They're, it's kind of like parallels, you know? Like, one, like, obviously Taiga's still the bad guy, but he's outwardly cruel, but inwardly he wants uh, what he believes to be best for Wataru and to, you know, have his brother join him, rule by his side, and they could, you know, take over the entire galaxy and kill the Emperor. <laughs> On the other hand, Shima is acting very, you know, pardon the pun, snake-like. You know, he's out, like, outwardly, he's being like, yeah, no, I I care for you, and I think this is good, and I want to, I want to, you know, meet in the middle and have a good relationship with you. But in the background, he's planning his, uh, Wataru's death. He's being treacherous. Wataru is next talking to Keisuke and Maldemore. Keisuke bluntly tells Wataru that his being half Fangire changes things, and that they will have to fight when Wataru next becomes Kiva. I really like that Keisuke obviously isn't happy, is giving Wataru a warning, which makes it actively harder for him to do his job. And and when Megami shows up and says, what are you talking about? This is Wataru we're talking about. Wataru. Ty- uh, 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 Keisuke just shouts, I know I don't want to do this either. Yeah, it's surprisingly earnest from Keisuke. Yeah, like, you could even see it, because he specifically says, the next time you go to Kiva, we're going to have to kill you. You could see it as him telling Wataru, stop being Kiva, please, so we don't have to f- hurt you. It doesn't take too long for Watu to become Kiva, however, because Maya is being chased by the Mantis Fangire and his Zomgire buddies. Watu senses this through the Bloody Rose and rides to the scene on the machine Kiva. He henshines into Kiva and saves his mother by dispatching the Zomgires with Zonbot. For a second, I thought we had a new song, but it was the beginning of the usual Emperor Kiva theme, which I don't think we hear that often. It's su- I think the song is called Supernova. I think usually it starts like 10, 20 seconds in, where it goes to the da 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 But this this time we heard the very beginning, which was like some like sort of choir-esque lyrics. I legitimately thought, oh, this is a new song, but then it started going into the part of Supernova we hear all the time. Right. I think we mentioned this before, but Kiva has a pretty good soundtrack. It, this, it has probably, I'd say, top five soundtracks in Common Rider. But yeah, Kiva finishes off the Mantis with a well-placed sword throw into its chest. Uh, both ways. <laughs> into his chest and the chest he carried around. Oh, it was a coffin, though. Just let me pun. Let me pun in peace, Adam. <laughs> After defeating the Mantis Spangire, Kengo rappels down from no out of nowhere and shouts that he will defeat Kiva. He henshines into Rising Ixa while Keisuke and Megami take up sniping positions. As Kiva and Ixa fight, Megami lowers her gun and says that she can't go through with killing Wataru. I love this scene. Makes, makes me tear up a little bit, actually. Yeah, Keisuke doesn't agree in word but in deed. He shoots the ground between the, the two riders, giving Kiva some breathing room. Sorry, my finger slipped. Before Ixa can properly resume the fight, Bishop and Taiga come in and knock Ixa prone. Taiga orders Bishop to do the thing, and Bishop places a hand on Kiva, 
invoking some manner of Fangire magic and awaking Wataru's Fangire blood. So this sort of leads me to question, what exactly does it mean to awake a person's Fangire blood? Because it makes it seem like the person's Fangire blood is simply bloodlust. Is that something that all Fangires have to deal with? I don't know. I I assume a, an effect of this would be that Wataru uh, would become dependent on eating human souls, but eh. Well, I mean, Fangires don't need to. Like, Shinji didn't eat any souls when he married his wife. But yeah, uh, Wataru's Fangire blood gets awakened, whatever that means exactly. Kiba's visor turns from solid red to a stained glass pattern, and he leaps over to Keisuke and Megami. He smacks Keisuke away, seizes Megami by the neck, and looks as though he's about to run her through with Zonbot, and that's the episode. So, that's a really good cliffhanger, but imagine if, instead of using Zonbot, Fang, uh, Fangai or Fangs manifested behind him, like, ready to chop down. Oh, that would be cool. Also, I... I just realized awakening a person's fang higher blood is like an Amazon's awakening. Yeah, I could see the similarities. Sure. So it's just something neat, you know, that I can draw this comparison between these two seasons. Right. But yeah, let's give our ratings. Who's your writer of the week? What's it? Same. He's just a soft boy and he's surrounded by these Machiavellian assholes. He's, he's doing so much. He's like standing his ground so firmly. You know, he tells everybody, I am Kiva, I am a fan guy, I want to be the bridge between these two species. He uh-huh. he, go, he goes to uh, Taiga, and he's like, hey, humans are not livestock, I believe that th- that our two species can coexist. He's just so solid and grounded, and puts up a re- he does a really good fight against the Mantis Fangire. Uh-huh. He, he runs the machine Kiva straight into him. Those suits must have a lot of cushioning. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that when they do stuff like that, either it's a mixture of like using pool wires, which is you know, when you and also speeding up the footage, they send the they send the vehicle into the into the person usually at a reduced footage, which then speed up uh, reduce speed and then speed up the footage. I also have wires pulling the actor or possibly just an empty suit back, so it seems like they're being hit. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. That's probably more practical than just cushioning the suits. Or they, or they could have like empty suits that they, uh, that they like use for large impacts like that. Yeah. The more you know, Tokusatsu edition. I, I'm pretty sure I've said this before, but we're getting into late game Kiva, which means we get late game Wataru, which is all that character development, all those one-off episodes of him gathering courage of him pushing past discomfort of him solidifying his ideals, it's all coming together. And we get to see Wataru, now a beautiful butterfly from whence he was just a regular caterpillar. Aw, nice. Who's your monster of the week? Shima. Yeah, that's fair, but I'm giving it to everyone who's not Wataru and Megami. Hey, Heisuke almost shot Kengo to protect Wataru. Yeah, I guess... Case gets a pass to the Terra Corner. I'm giving Shima a reversed emperor. When reversed, the emperor represents domination, excessive control, rigidity, and inflexibility. I, those last two are things I think you can reasonably accuse Shima of being when it comes to ordering Wataru's death. 
Adam, can I just say the past, like, I think three or four recordings we've had for Kiva, those the tarot recorders have been really good. Thank you. Like, like some of them actually gave me a little bit of shivers, like, oh, that's so spot on. Yay. What's your episode rating? 10. Because I just I just tear up a little bit when I see Watru admitting to being Kiva to the BSO. When I see uh, when I see Keisuke protecting Watru, like, it's good. Also, that amazing cliffhanger, even though, God, if, 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 if it had the Fang Iron Fangs instead of uh, the Zanvat sword, I probably would have given this a 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm also giving it a 10. Shit won't stop ramping up. And it it's uh, it's a very good build up to what's turning out to be the climax of the season. I yeah, I'm pretty sure the last few episodes are going to be hype as fuck. We're getting to uh, some stuff that I love. I love I love the story. I love it, but also I don't know if I can physically stand watching it. Oh no, because it gets me so emotional. Well, yeah, that brings us to the end of. This week's Craw, folks. Uh, hope you enjoyed listening to us. You can find us at Twitter, double underscore common. You can find us at pretty much any podcast platform. You're listening to us right now, anyhow. You can you can listen to me on Into the Grid, because I just recorded a guest, uh, guest episode there. Oh. Where I, you know, watched and reviewed uh, Power Rangers SPD episode, History which is the first of two crossovers with Dino Thunder. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you can hear me as I prove my encyclopedic knowledge of uh, Power Rangers SPD and describe a couple of episodes almost word for word. Yeah, as for me, you could also find me at Pokemon Primeval. It's a Pokemon TTRPG podcast where we use different RPG systems to basically posit what the world of Pokemon would have been like across different eras. From like Sengoku era Kanto and Johto to the tundra deserts of a post-apocalyptic future. It's a very good it's a very good pun. We own it. No one else can use it. It's ours forever. Uh but yeah, let's go ahead and hit Sheen out of here. Sheen!